source of true delight, whom I unseen adore. Unveil thy beauties to my sight, that I might love thee more. Oh, that I might love thee more. You're listening to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding dying. 37, you'll notice that represents a slight revision from what's in the bulletin. If you um, need a Bible, in front of you is the Pew Bible. It's um, page 845 in the blue book. Again, Mark 9, verses 30 through 37, the word of God. They went on from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand the saying, and were afraid to ask him. And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve. And he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. morning. Uh, Darwin called me on Tuesday and asked if I could preach, and I, and I did. Before I knew what I was doing, I picked this, I picked this text, and um, quite frankly, this text uh, reveals me to be a fraud, and so it's worth our time that we hope in God that we would pray together, so let's pray. Father, you are gracious to serve, and following after Jesus calls us in that way, and we need your Spirit, and we need it uh, dearly. And we ask your Spirit to grant us grace that we're not able to muster within ourselves, and yet uh, something that you give. Be kind to us in that way this morning for Jesus' sake, for our benefit. Amen. Um, just by way of introduction, we're glad that you're here this morning, but let me um, extend a, a warm welcome to all the TCU students and all the other college students from the air who are back. Um, let me encourage you to look around and um, get a hold of a college student this year and invite them in and love on them, make them a part of your home and family, make them cut your grass, do all those things. Um, they'll love you for it, right? They will love you for it. Um, 
You've watched the Olympics the last few weeks as my guests. My wife and I have lost many hours of sleep. We're bleary-eyed. My children are. We've kept them up till midnight watching gymnastics. It's been really fun. Uh, one of the things that you've seen over the last few weeks is, uh, well, you see some showboating, don't you? You know, you see some guys, uh, Usain Bolt, kind of with the lightning bolt, who's kind of after. Now, the guy is fast. We just all admit it. I admit it, the guy is unbelievable. Um, if you watch football in the next few weeks, one of the things that you're about to see the beginning of is the, uh, is the end zone dance. I happen to be a fan of the end zone dance because I think it takes a fair bit of creativity to figure out how to do CPR on a football. That's, that's pretty amazing. I mean, you know, that's kind of creative to ride a football like a horse. That shows them on-the-spot creativity. Uh, but, but there is a culture uh, that you and I are a part of that we've grown up in that's the air we breathe that is self-promoting. That really is the culture that you and I grow up in. Um, the only way you get ahead, right? You all know the phrase from the Bible, God helps those who help themselves. Oh, wait, that's not from the Bible. What's that, Benjamin Franklin or something like that? Said that? We grow up from the time that we're raised, from the time that we're kind of brought into the world of real consciousness. The only way that we know how to survive is to promote ourselves. It's accepted. It's encouraged. It's a necessity in the world in which you live. How do you get the right job? How do you get into the right sorority and the fraternity? You build your resume. And what Jesus is doing in this passage is He's kind of leveling the playing field of the way He calls you and I to follow after Him. And it is it's frightening. <laughs> it's humbling. See, what Mark does in the first half of the book is He does this. He describes in the first half of the Gospel of Mark whether or not, and this is the question he asks, is this Jesus of Nazareth really the Savior of God and His people? That's really the big question. And then he turns around and in the second half of the book, he answers a different question. And it's this. What kind of Savior is He? And what does it look like to follow after a Savior like Jesus? What kind of Savior is Jesus? Is He the self-promoting, self-aggrandizing, showboating Savior? That's, you know, that's really a real question. Or is He a different kind? And if He's a different kind, what Jesus looks at you and I and does is He says, what does it look like to follow after Him? And it really is a strange thing. It's a beautiful thing that Mark puts Jesus' description of His own death right before this event. It is, it's, it's masterful satire almost. Isn't it beautiful? Right before this, Jesus has gone up on the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James, and John. And He's peeled back the veil of the glory of God. That's the event where those three men go up on the mountain and the light shines down, and they get a picture of really seeing just who it is that they're dealing with. You know, the light that blinds them so that they fall down afraid. They come down off the mountain. Jesus does a miracle to validate the fact that He's really that authoritative. And then they go on their way. And He says this in verses 30 through 32. 
This is the kind of Savior that I am bringing to the world. And therefore, this is the kind of Savior that Jesus is bringing to you who sit in the pews someday in August of 2008. That I've come to die, to be killed, to suffer, to be betrayed, to be mocked, to be flogged, to be spit upon, to suffer the wrath of God, to be a loser, to be a servant, and then to be raised up again. And in that little phrase, there's the key to the success of the call to humility that Jesus speaks to you and I. But we'll come back to that. What He does, and what the Gospel does, is this. It describes a contrast of kingdoms. It's the kingdom of what Eugene Peterson calls the firmly entrenched kingdom of self versus the gracious, freeing, glorious, joyful kingdom of heaven and His Christ. In following Jesus, if you are to follow after Jesus, if by God's grace He has shown you the need of the very thing you confessed this morning, that your only hope in life and death is that Christ is the one who will suffer and die in your place and wash away your sins, then the grace that Jesus gives to follow after Him means that we struggle against this entrenched heart desire, and bent towards self-promotion. See, the gospel of God's grace does this strange thing. It bumps up against our hatred of humility. Our predilection against it. (laughs) Isn't it it great? I love that this is in the Bible. I'm so thankful to God that this is in the Bible. He has just come down from the mount. He's done a miracle. They're walking on the road. He's just told them that the kind of Messiah that He is is one who will suffer and die. And then, (laughs) you look down in verse 33. And they came to Capernaum and He was in the house. He asked them, What were you discussing on the way, fellas? I mean, can't you see it? Isn't it beautiful? I mean, who wants to answer that question among the disciples? You know, it's almost, I bet you Jesus had to ask it again. Uh, I don't know, maybe you couldn't hear me over the air conditioning unit. Uh, what were you all discussing? <laughs> uh, we were discussing who, which one of us was the greatest. Oh, we were discussing which one of us was the greatest. Really? Thank you, Jesus for putting this in the Bible. Thank you. Why? Because this is me. And this is you. Isn't it? Think about the stories we tell. Think about the ways we tend to embellish. The fish that got away. The size of the deer that we never actually had mounted. Why? Because we want to say that it was a 12-point rather than, you know, a button that we shot at dusk because we didn't, you know, know who it was. You know, think of the way in which we kind of describe how we view our importance. It's by what we garner, by what we earn, by the goodies that we have. 
by the shape of our bodies and the way we can compare that to the girl on the elliptical machine next to us. By how much we earn. By how we look. By where we vacation. We have this inherent bent because the nature of our hearts to self-promote. We do. We name drop in social situations. And even if it's something good, we have this internal bent to this thing. And this is why, in part, you and I are thankful for this being in the Bible. Because the kingdom of heaven, the grace of God, comes to you and I in that state. That is good news. It's good news. It came to the disciples. It came to Peter, James, and John. It came to the spiritual giants of the Bible. Why? Because they needed it. Why? Because they're arguing on the road about which one of them is the best. And the acorn doesn't fall that far from the tree. Right? The, spiritual, the spiritual heritage that you and I inherit from Adam on down is this kind of thing. And for some of you, right, for some of you, you are so well aware of that internal desire to self-promote. You have been enslaved by it for so long. You know it. You know the bondage of it. You know the way in which it can rule your heart. And you look and go... The grace of God for sinners in this. Jesus is the God of kind confrontation, isn't He? He doesn't just let it go. He's kind enough to ask the question. He's kind enough to peel back the veil of His own glory. And then He's kind enough to peel back the veil of our own heart. And for some of you, my guess is is you're wondering whether or not Jesus is worth the effort. Or you're taking a real good look at Christians to see what their life is like. Because you've heard enough of the Bible to know that they're supposed to be humble. And yet, I want to propose to you that the grace of God is not simply for people who are what they are supposed to be. The grace of God is for people who long and desire to be what they are not even as they strive towards being what they are. And what I mean to say to you this morning is this. I would not say that if you see Christians struggling against their own arrogance and need to promote themselves and desire for it, that that is somehow a disqualifier for the truth of Christianity. As a matter of fact, I would look at you and say, God in His wisdom stuck it right here in the Bible so that you'd know Even Christians are going to walk down the road struggling against this. Welcome to the apostles. Welcome to the disciples. And Jesus' response to their argument is very easy and it's very clear. You want to argue about who's the greatest. But the response to this discussion among His disciples is this. If you want to be first... 35. If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. What's the response of Jesus? 
It's this, that the kingdom of heaven, that the kingdom of God, that the grace of God as it operates in your heart and mind is counterintuitive to our natural hearts. It sets you and I, by God's mercy, on a different course. A very different course. And I don't think that Jesus is really saying that you're going to be first in the kingdom, per se. There's one who's first in the kingdom. It's the one who's actually faithful. It's the one who's actually humble. It's Jesus Himself. But to desire to be great in the kingdom of heaven is actually a good thing. It's to go against the nature and natural heart. It's to be willing to be last, to be the servant of people. And the beauty, you need to hear it. I'm going to say it again and again, is that what God calls for, what Jesus draws His disciples into, what He says you and I are supposed to drive after, is the very thing that He enables. And you need to know it and you need to hear it. The kingdom of God is counter-natural. It's counter-intuitive. And its extent is overwhelming, isn't it? If you desire to be great in the kingdom, this is where Jesus calls you to be last and to be the servant of of some. (laughs) No. To be the servant of the easy to serve. No. To be the servant of all. And Jesus is looking at you and I and He's saying the kingdom of heaven gets at the heart. It gets at the heart of who we are. It gets at not just what we do, it gets at what we are. It's an approach of the heart. It's the nature of the heart. It is thing that is contrary to this desire to be about our own self-promotion. And it is a willingness, a freedom by Jesus and His mercy to be unnoticed. To be last in line. You know, just take a few things. The call of the gospel starts to ratchet itself up in our lives as we begin to think about this. It starts to speak into the realm of where we spend our time. Who we give our time to. (laughs) I love the PGA. I love golf. My stepfather burned it into my brain. This is the thing I love. You may hate to watch golf. I love to watch golf. To the ignoring of my family. And the gospel begins to to work its way in and begin to look at you and call us away from the way we spend our time. College students, I love you. I did RUF for 14 years. This is the world where you have the most expendable time you will ever have. Have a great time in God. I mean that. It is a great time. And Jesus calls you to think about something other than yourself. That's the grace of God to you. It is. That you and I are to be last in the servant of all, not just serving those who actually help us get ahead. Right? I like to help those who will in some way have a return that is worth the service. I 
I'm not the pastor here, so I'm free to say it. Our money. I do want you to love me. Our money. Jesus calls you and I to give, not just simply out of our excess. It affects what we do with what we have. Okay, men, (laughs) Jesus looks at you and says, the servant of all, and then He lowers the boom in Ephesians 5, and He says, husbands, love your wives as Jesus loved the church and laid down His life for her. And you and I all say, I'm undone. I desire to do that. I am undone. Not needing all the recognition. It's quiet service that doesn't need light. Right? Great is the church that is actually thankful for her people who serve and actually will stand up and look at them and say, we are thankful for the grace of God in you. And this church, I've seen that, does that. It's a good thing. And great is actually the hearts of God's people who can be tent in the service of Christ when their service is unknown and unseen and unheralded and unrecognized. And my New Testament professor, Dr. Chamblin, said that that real biblical humility, real biblical service is not thinking less of yourself. It's not an ego problem. It's not bad self-esteem. It is the freedom that you and I are given because of the deep love of Jesus to think of ourselves less. That's a good distinction. Jesus calls us not to bad self-esteem, but to the freedom from being consumed with ourselves. And then Jesus goes from the motive, or from the, the symptom, the action, to the motive of the deal. And He does this brilliant thing. Not that I have to call Jesus brilliant. He's certainly secure in that reality without me promoting it. But it's true. He turns from the action of the disciples, this need for self-promotion, and then He turns to the motive of to why they do it in this great little thing. If you look down in verses 36, He takes a child, He puts him in His midst, and He takes him in His arms, which is glorious. Don't let that little detail be lost on you. Jesus embraces this little child. It is a living sermon. And it wasn't just a sermon for effect. It is, the, it is the reality of who Jesus is. It's the reality of what God is like all across the pages of the Bible. And Jesus goes from the symptom, from the action to the symptom. He gets to the root of the kingdom of self. He turns from self-promotion to the reason people do it. And that is this. It's our view of self-importance. Why do we promote ourselves? See, the reason we promote ourselves is because actually we think we're that good. That's the strange nature of the way sin has affected us. And Jesus brings the child in His midst and He says this, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. But what is Jesus doing? He's doing a brilliant thing. Because in Jesus' day, children were property. 
See, you and I live in a culture that is the most child-oriented, child-centered culture maybe in history. Now, I love my kids. Lord willing, I'm going to go to their soccer games and and I haven't missed a ballet recital yet. And I weep and I cry and I love it and I'm for it. And I want you to go to your... You know, I'm not against us loving our children. But our view of children is very, very different. In Jesus' day... It's not that people didn't love their children, but they were viewed as property. They were social nobodies. There was no clout. To accept a child into your midst, that won't get you anywhere. Who does Jesus draw in? He draws in the nobodies. Who does Jesus love? He loves the children. Who does Jesus love? He loves those of no import, of no consequence to the eyes of the world. What is the gospel of God's grace doing to you and I here at Fort Worth Prez? It is drawing us to love those whom the world says are of no account. But wait, before you and I, in our sweet love, which therefore turns us to pride, think that we're so good for loving the needy and of the no account... Look who it is that Jesus has drawn to Himself. It's you. It's you. It's me. We are the children. We're the ones who are broken. We are the ones who, though made in the image of God, have been reduced to an adulterated shadow of the glory that we once were. We are the ones who we confess rightly deserve not God's commendation, but God's condemnation. And Jesus, in His mercy, has come and has embraced us Because it is what He loves to do. He has said, do not suffer the little children to come to Me. Do not suffer those who are of no account to come to Me. Do not suffer those who the world looks at and scorns to come to Me. Do not suffer those who struggle with their own need to self-promote and self-aggrandize to come to Me. Come! Because what the God of all glory does What the God of all grace does, what the God of all mercy does, is that He opens up His arms wide and He says, You are the very ones who I have come for. Jesus, who knew no sin, who was equal with God in substance and glory and power, eternally happy in the triune communion that He had with God from eternity past, did not think that that place was a place that He ought to sit in. But out of His great love for a people of no account whose name is Berger and Jordan and Olson and on and on and on. Made it His great joy to come down from the throne of heaven and die the servant's death that He might bring you in to this glorious kingdom. That He might grant you His love and mercy and forgiveness. And not only that, that He might not leave you where you are. 
Because the mercy of God is great and glorious. The forgiveness of God is wonderful and deep and is beyond your and my plumbing. Divining. But the grace of God is bigger and larger than that. Because what the servant commands, what Jesus calls His people to, He enables It is His great love to come after you. It is His great desire and purpose to not leave you in your state. It is His great job to make sure that His mercy is not without effect, but that it is with effect so that you and I who wake up in the morning and look and run to the coffee pot so that we can pour the cup in so we get the last of the creamer so we can leave our life out actually will someday... In the near future, maybe by God's grace say, because of the mercy of Jesus to me, I can be last. Beloved, that is the great mercy and love of God. It's His purpose in the world. He is creating a kingdom that has come in and that moves against the kingdom Himself and that destroys it and that raises up people who though we argue on the road, about whether or not we should have the best seat in the house, are being drawn to look like the Savior who has loved us and died for us. It is God's great work in you, and He loves to do it. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, receives Jesus. And whoever receives me receives not me, but God who sent me. I think what Jesus is doing is He's graciously looking and saying, and if you're here this morning and you don't know whether or not that you ought to love and follow Jesus. You need to hear this. There is a lie that the culture and, and that now, we're not chicken, you know, the sky's not falling. We're not pessimists. But this is the untruth of the culture in which you live. It says this that service to self is the way to freedom and the way to life. That grabbing all you can along the way, that dying with the most goodies and the most points and the most friends on Facebook is the only way to survive and thrive and live and have freedom. And it is a lie. And the great truth and freedom of the gospel of God's grace to people who really need it is this flee to Christ. As you are in all your pride and in all our lack of humility and in all of our need for grace and there meet the one who speaks the good word of grace and says, these are the children whom I love. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Because as God's grace and mercy gets a hold of our hearts 
And as you and I live with the freedom of Jesus and begin to die to self and live to serve, be free to be last, we begin to find actually that what has been thought of as the great lie, even the lie that we still struggle to not believe, is actually really a lie. And that drinking your coffee black rather than the last drop of creamer is actually something that by God's grace gives you life, gives you freedom, gives you hope, gives you great joy. What were you talking about on the road this morning? Oh, Jesus, have mercy on the likes of us. Please. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are what Your Word says we are. And thank God You are honest enough to be honest with us. Be gracious to Your people. Bind up the heart of those who are weary with themselves this morning. Give great strength and encouragement in and through Christ to enable us to look like the One whom first of all has loved us, Jesus. Make us to drink deeply of His goodness and kindness and love. And may the overflow of His love enable the very thing He calls us to. God, for the sake of Your kingdom, for the sake of Your glory, for the sake of the joy and freedom and health and life of our hearts, Make us free to serve. And we would pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. Jesus, my Lord, my life, my light, oh, come with blissful rain. Break radiant through the shades of night And chase my fears away Won't you chase my fears away Then shall my soul with rapture trace